My name is Jonathan Martin, and you are listening to the Zeitcast. Welcome back, y'all. So happy that you're here, however you got here. I want to share a sermon with you. It's an Ash Wednesday sermon. By the time you're listening to this, it's not Ash Wednesday. But I wanted to give some markers to chart the course a bit for this Lenten journey that we're on, a journey that is very much about descent and ashes, also transfiguration, illumination, authentic transformation. My friend, Reverend Jen, uh, St. Andrew's Episcopal Church here, talks about it as a time for spring cleaning of the soul. I thought it's wonderful. So wherever you're linting from or whether you're linting at all, I know we all speak this language of love and death, and we all speak this language of liminal space, don't we, of in-between places. So hope this lands somehow, wherever you are. The sermon I preached at Gobin United Methodist Church, wonderful place where Dr. King preached in 1960. Certainly a church that's part of that tradition of the beloved community. I'm thankful that it's part of my community here. So not from Fillmore. This one's from Gobin. Preached it a little while after having the honor to be able to impose ashes on students outside of our dining hall here at DePaul. What a mysterious and wonderful thing. So hope something in this makes you feel seen and known in your own journey. Let's go there. Let's talk about love and death. And body or spirit for a reading from the gospel. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Word. Thanks be to God. There's such a, a sweet spirit here and um, wonderfully peaceful spirit here. I don't want to break that with any rambling. I really want to stay in the little flow of what's happening, but um, I do want to say just briefly, so good to be back. Y'all in my community, I love it here so much. Thank you for being so supportive of me, and I do feel very much supported. And the work I'm getting to do in Fillmore, 15 minutes up the road, um, it's been a really beautiful season. Start there, past through in November, but being able to do that, I feel very much the support and love from my community here is a great gift. And but I do miss you, and I miss being on Sundays. And it was so brilliant to get to be at the Fat Tuesday meal last night and be here tonight. And thank you. Pastor Brian, for the invitation to let me uh, to let me chat for a few minutes. The other things, I, the other thing I just want to mention real quickly, all of you just follow the presses and certainly we'll give this without a sense of permission from your pastor. But um, I am really excited about this. We've been um, we've been praying and concerning for a long time what a Christian chapel should look like at Paul. We talked about this forever. Piloted briefly last spring. Um, toyed around with different spaces. One would be kind of a main artery you want. Uh, campus in some form, and finally just came around like, okay, it really just feels like it needs to be here, which has always been um, the kind of unofficial chapel for Nepal anyway. Something about that feels really special, really right. Um, we're about to make public that we're going to start their services next Wednesday. So next Wednesday and every Wednesday following from 1130 to 12, we're going to try to honor that uh, window, but I think it's really going to be special. Um, we have so many fantastic students like right here, um, but it's really, uh, this is really going to be a special thing. And we would love to have the support of this community. I do think actually just some bodies in the room for a little extra support and electricity will, uh, will make a difference. So please know you're very welcome to those services. And uh, two weeks from today, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's two weeks from today. Um, my dear friend, Dr. Chris Green is one of my best friends. Uh, he's going to be coming to speak at that chapel service. And we're also going to do a 6 p.m. service that will be uh, overtly for Gobin and other churches in our community. Chris has written a really beautiful book on Lent. It's called Being Transfigured, um, uh, a collection of Lent sermons, and it's just wonderful. Chris is a very humble person. This is not how he talked about himself. Um, Brian Moran will remember well our daughter, uh, Stanley Harwas, when uh, Maine, America's Best Theologian by Time Magazine said the best is not a theological category. So I'm aware this is not a theological category, but Chris is actually the best, the finest theological thinker I've ever on any level. He's really brilliant, but also very um, vulnerable and tender soul, and uh, I just can't wait to get to sharing with you. So don't you're invited to that. But uh, tonight, Magnolia Hills will talk a little bit about some of these simple things that I get to do. My mind is still reeling from a very busy day. We've had a busy day, I think, um, in such a beautiful way. Uh, I'm really grateful, uh, for one, because this also feels like a, a special community in itself. I'm grateful that 
of the wonderful clergy that we have here within our church. Uh, I've got a whole little crew here who's being so supportive, so grateful to, uh, to Marilyn, Beth, and Lisa, a lot of people like um, Pastor Jen at the Episcopal Church and Wes at the Presbyterian Church. Wonderful little crew that's developing. And um, today we often ask us to go in front of the food. So no ceremony, no service, just anybody who wanted to receive ashes. And I've never done that before. I certainly want to do it again. Something so incredibly powerful about this very strange, kind of humiliating thing that you do. And I don't think we ever went more than five minutes without students who wanted to receive ashes. It was so, it was so moving to me. It just, um, I can make an analogy or a metaphor out of anything. It's very annoying. And I wish I didn't think that way all the time, but. You got to know a few of the special relic, of course, Valentine's Day, which is not a thing. The way that Ash Wednesday is a thing, it's kind of a thing. And so we're on one side, and uh, so myself and uh, Pastor Jen and then uh, Wes and Lisa, we're offering ashes. And on the other side of the hallway are roses and carnations for sale for Valentine's Day. And so if, if we don't somehow get you know, kind of worked out. You know, if it doesn't kind of juice you up to think about like love and death and all those intersections, I don't, I don't know how to tell you. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, love and death. There's just so much, just so much happening, and we know that Ash Wednesday, of course, is such a reminder of our mortality and our our limitations. It's becoming less morbid to me the further I go because I realize there's so much in this. It's an invitation to rest. Hey, like, yeah, actually, we're all we're all in the long process of dying, and the world doesn't rest on our shoulders. There's an invitation to remember that we are human, to remember that we are dust, to remember not nearly as much rottenness as maybe that we that we think. So, so there's death and mortality and all that. Last thing that I um, that I got to do today. So at the Center for Spiritual Life, we hosted. Uh, Listening session, that listening session where Dr. White and John Marte, uh, of course, my own beloved community here, were there specifically just to talk and listen to our Muslim students. And I, I tell people all the time about the work that I do here. I've never felt more like a Christian than being able to host our other faith groups at the center. It is truly my favorite thing that I get to do. There's something just really sacred about that. And uh, right now, the reel is just flickering with these with these images. And how, in a way, um, all of them feel like Clinton images. Maybe everything can. You know, I, the, my first master's degree was from the Pentecostal Theological Seminary. And I used to kind of make fun of it in this way. It's wonderful seminary, great education. But I would joke about because I feel like they would have a class on like a Pentecostal way of doing everything. Now, he's kind of annoyed with, like, okay, there's really not a good enough theology of, you know, pancakes. You know what I'm saying? It's like everything. It's like, oh, now I'm going to explore a Pentecostal theology of basket weaving. Just weave the baskets. It doesn't have to be. But at the same time, I do think in, there is a way, actually, that kind of in that same spirit. It's like, well, all we were doing, we were doing is Pentecostal people, so I guess it is that. And um, maybe on a day like today, everything we're doing is Lent. Maybe it really does all converge, including these intersections of, of love and death. Um, I want to reflect briefly, though, on the text that we read. Uh, I don't I don't feel like I'm just trying to be positive here or glib or put a sunny face on everything. 
I really love Lent. I get energized by it. Does anybody else get weirdly excited about Lent? Yeah. I know that can seem weird because it's like, but some of us also are happier when it rains. It's a great song about that. That would be when I, I am happy. And I like a lot of gloomy things in general, maybe. But I do get strangely excited about Lent because Lent wasn't in the water for my tradition. It was not something we practiced. We did kind of get straight to Easter and then just try to do Easter again the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. So these rhythms are new for me. And, and now, when I hear these scripts, no matter how ominous they are, they just don't sound that way to me anymore. Not because I think I'm not trying to mutter them or not feel the force or the weight of them, but it's always here such invitation in these words uh, that I did not hear before. Yes, like what we read in Joel is a somber text that calls us to fast. And the theme of the Joel text seems to be somebody has to say something. We should have to say something about what's going on. But I hear that now, and I can't hear it as condemnation. I, I, I hear it as, oh, as the kind of person who doesn't always speak up and hasn't always spoken up about things I should have spoken up about. I get to speak up now. I'm invited to speak up now, even though I've not spoken up before. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm not been fasting. I've been indulgent. But you, you get to fast now. Hmm. You get to start now. You can start over if you want to. And the same spirit in our gospel text. I hear these words from Jesus now that before I, I would, would cause me such anxiety because anything Jesus ever said about being aware or, or, or wearing aware of you know, these displays of public piety. I don't think piety in itself is a bad word. We're Methodist people, right? So we like piety, unless they like piety, like the word piety. It works in its way, but... Um, these outward external displays of piety, you know, I used to get just so stressed out about. Am I being sincere enough? Am I, am I a little bit concerned that somebody else is looking at me? And now I've lost my reward. Well, I just thought about whether or not I'm concerned that somebody else is watching me. I think that won't rain forfeited the reward from even wondering if maybe I'm doing this for others' approval. And, you know, it just gets settled in my head about all these things. Whereas now I, I, I hear these words of Jesus and I, I'm putting the spirit of me so much more. If you're going to have these religious practices, don't do them in a way that wastes your time and God's. <laughs> if you're doing it for, uh, you know, the approval or applause of others, well, that means nothing. So it won't, it won't help you. Um, if you do it for the sake of impressing God or convincing God of something, well, that's ridiculous. Then it won't go. It won't help you. And so I hear in all of these of these words now, not threat, but this the invitation. You you get to do these things. Get to do these things that actually can transform your life. That actually can can wake you up. I'll be briefer here, but we know that, of course, today marks the beginning of this journey into the wilderness. Long days in the wilderness time, 40 days. Kind of long, in a way, not that long. And as much as it's important for me in moments like this that we, that Lynn is about God and it's about Jesus and this journey, I can't get away from the ways that. Of course it's about us, because what is Jesus ever trying to do? I think, I think we give this in a strange way in the transfiguration we're just coming out of. 
what is God ever attempting to do in flesh but teach us how to be human? God becoming human so that we can learn how to be human. Jesus goes in the wilderness to show us how to go into the wilderness. To show us what a process of transformation looks like. To show us things like denial doesn't work. You have to face your needs. Um, you have to go out into the wilderness. You have to go out into these lonely spaces. Not out of punishment. I know we have a prominent story in our Jewish scripture uh, where there's this idea of wilderness connected to disobedience. Mostly wilderness is not connected to this. Mostly the prophets go to the wilderness on purpose. People like the the community John Baptist was likely part of. They go to the wilderness on purpose because you hear better. You see more clearly. You discern things there that you would not be able to discern anywhere else. It's not punishment. You get to do these things. And when you do them, um, there's the possibility of coming out on the other side of that wilderness experience so unusual. So that's all that's all I'm hearing right now in many of these texts and in this last season in general. You get to start over. You get to start from wherever you are. And maybe you're not ready to change your life forever. <laughs> Fine. God says, how about you give me 40 days? <laughs> <laughs> can we just can we just do a thing for 40 days? You know, it, it's so transformative for me now not to read these things and think that Jesus is, you know, superhuman and trying to give us some kind of superhuman example. Uh, I mean, I, I'm always a little leery. I, I'm the last person to ever talk about health stuff because not only am I not that guy, but also because there's so much quackery out there. But I feel like I do. Well, I'm not saying I'm experienced enough in fasting. I feel like I know enough about it. And the science, you know, we've seen this as recent occurs in all the wisdom traditions, the way that does. this idea of like a lengthy fast, which sounds so awful. How on earth could somebody fast for 40 days? Well, the truth is, not that that's easy to do, but you know, kind of what we know is that the the really difficult part of a long fast is the first three days maybe through the first set day. There's a reason that sometimes people go hunger strikes and everyone go like 40 days without food. After a couple of weeks, you actually don't feel hunger anymore. And your body kind of goes into a different phase of um like a whole it just kind of goes into a whole different process, a whole different way of resetting. Uh which I do think beyond quackery, I think while there are caveats and it's not for everybody depending on all kinds of health conditions can be Incredibly beneficial. Probably not pondering doing a little short and fast. But I'm saying, but you see, like, the, just the, the shift in thinking there. Then this is far less, oh, well, I, I can never be like Jesus. Jesus was fast for 40 days. Whereas, oh, no, no. It's precisely because Jesus is facing the devil in the wilderness that he needs to be at his best and his strongest and his fierce. The idea is not, look at Jesus. He's like Rocky with his time in the mountain. Boy, I could never, I, I could never do that. No, it's this. Jesus is prepared for these moments precisely because he gets into that rhythm of rest and reset and emptying because all of those things are, they're good for us. And I think the message of Lent is very much these resources are available to us. The same kind of power that was available to Jesus in this secret place is available to us. We get to tap into that. 
we get to engage in these practice where you practices where you can lay some things down and pick some other things up and face our demons and have this dark night of the soul and actually be actually be transfigured, actually be transformed. I've been kicking around this idea for a minute now. After crash writing this book out of nowhere, I have been thinking about Lent long before this season. I keep the phrase I keep thinking about is this idea that you can do anything for 40 days. But that's part of what the Lenten revolution is about is, mm. hey, I may not be ready to say for the rest of my life. I may not be ready to say for the next year, but oh, I could give you a few weeks. And is it possible that those few weeks of this short season actually could shift the way I perceive everything about my life and all the stuff that feels uncomfortable? I could never fight that. I could never. How will I ever handle this addiction? How will I ever forgive this person? What if actually, no, it's really just a matter of you give God a few weeks where there's actually time and space for some things to shift and anything is, anything is possible. So that's my simple invitation before we jump back into our liturgy. Do anything for this. Do anything for a few days in time, a few weeks of time, a few minutes of time. And I really think what this time and space is about is giving God room hmm. to do those things in us. Oftentimes, we just don't give God or give ourselves that kind of space. Let us not think we have to do. It's a thing we get to do. And if there's absolutely anything in your life that we'd like to see changed, I can think of no better or more likely true route to transform in any way than to follow Jesus in the words. So I just ask God that you would help us to receive the invitation of these words. Help us to follow you into Darwin lonely places. Help us not to be afraid of whatever devils we may face in the desert or monsters under the bed, you are with us. And I pray that in these next few moments that we have tonight, in these next few weeks, in these next few Sundays, would you show us the way, would you show us the path of wilderness, of wild, of ashes, of grief, and descent? Would you show us the way of transformation, long road to resurrection. May we follow the Son of the Holy Spirit.